Mike Jones here with you today. We're going to be doing a special super wild card weekend preview today. And we'll be starting off with the first game of the weekend, the Colts at the Bills. Bills come in hoping to snap a six-game playoff losing streak. And interestingly enough, uh, last time the Bills had any real success in the playoffs, the Colts head coach, Frank Reich, was actually the backup quarterback uh, behind Jim Kelly up there in Buffalo. Both teams come in after an offseason where they sent out their first-round draft picks to bring in what turned out to be critical parts of their playoff pushes this year. For the Colts, bring in the Forrest Buckner, part of that second in the NFL rushing defense, and then, of course, the Bills sent out their first-round pick to bring in Stephon Diggs. Diggs came in and just lit it on fire, almost immediately got that chemistry going with Josh Allen and actually led the NFL in not only catches, but also receiving yards. Uh, speaking of Josh Allen, he actually became the first player in NFL history with at least 4,000 passing yards, 30 passing touchdowns, and 8 rushing touchdowns in a single season. On the flip side of things with the Indianapolis Colts, they're led by first-year Colt, but longtime NFL veteran Philip Rivers, who also had a 4,000-yard passing season. Uh, a little less impressive in the touchdown category with only 24. But really, the story of the Colts' offense uh, down the stretch has been Jonathan Taylor. Uh, Jonathan Taylor is averaging 125.5 yards per game and 6.2 yards per carry over the last six games, while scoring eight touchdowns, including one receiving. And this was all... Uh, capped off with a Week 17 performance where he put up 256 yards. Now, albeit that was against the Jacksonville Jaguars, the winner of the number one overall pick and the uh, rights to draft Trevor Lawrence. But 256 yards is 256 yards, and that's impressive no matter what NFL team you are going up against. And Jonathan Taylor's running mate, Naheem Hines, didn't necessarily light it up as much on the ground game, but you look at his receiving numbers, and anybody who had him in fantasy football knew that he was poised to go off for a 30-point game uh, any given week because of his pass-receiving capabilities. Uh, he ended up with 63 catches on the season, actually paced the entire Indianapolis Colts in that category for 482 yards and four touchdowns. Longtime star on the outside for the Indianapolis, for the Indianapolis Colts, T.Y. Hilton, actually took a while to get on the same page with in, incomer Phillip Rivers and uh, put up a pedestrian season by T.Y. Hilton standards of nine, uh, 56 catches on 700 for 762 yards. And that's 56 catches on 93 targets. And that right there tells you that, especially early on in the season, they just were not on the same page. But it definitely started to come together down the stretch, and they should be in rhythm going into this game. Mentioned DeForest Buckner just a little bit ago. Sent out that first-round pick for him. He actually paced the team in sacks with 9.5 
didn't quite get to that double-digit sack total that is so coveted by pass rushers, but he he got really close. Uh, Justin Houston was actually second on the team with eight sacks, and back over on the Bills side of things, uh, Diggs and Josh Allen obviously huge threats for them offensively. There was not really a single running back that really emerged as the as the lead guy there in Buffalo. Uh, they spent a second-round draft pick to bring in Zach Moss to go with the second-year man, Devin Singletary. Both had respectable averages on the ground, 4.4 and 4.3, uh, but neither one really highlighted in that offense. Josh Allen was actually... Uh, third on the team in rushing and not too far behind Zach Moss with a 421-yard total on the season, but paced the Bills in rushing touchdowns with eight. Outside of Stephon Diggs, the number two wide receiver, Cole Beasley, he should be able to go tomorrow. Uh, Technically, or tomorrow, shoot, that is today now. But Cole Beasley is technically listed as questionable. But it's looking like he will be good to go. And that will go along with John Brown, who missed seven games this season, but was off to a very good start early on. Uh, in, just, in just nine games, put up 458 yards along with three touchdowns. Really, the X factor for that Bills offense is former Bronco Isaiah McKenzie. 30 catches for 220 or 282 yards on the season with five touchdowns, and that's to go along with. He also passed the ball once. Uh, a great stat line as a quarterback: one for one, 12 yards and a touchdown. Uh, he's kind of that jack of all trades that they can get involved, and he's a big play waiting to happen. A little underutilized, I felt like, in the rushing game. Only 10 attempts on the season. But I would not be surprised to see that bumped up a little in the postseason. On the defensive side of things, a couple of guys tied for the team lead with five sacks. Nothing, no uh, individual stand out there. But when you're talking about the Bills' pass defense, really what you're talking about is the pass coverage. Um, three, led by Tredavious White, three interceptions on the season. Josh Norman, only one interception. But you're talking about one of the top pass defenses in the NFL. Giving up only 233 yards, basically, per game. But you got to factor into that uh, there's a decent amount of garbage time uh, passing yards that is factored into that, considering the Bills were the second highest scoring team in the NFL this past season, uh, only trailing behind the Packers. Which, if you think about that, that means they outscored the Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes. Now, I mentioned that the Colts' rush defense is second in the NFL. Their pass coverage is about uh, middle of the pack. So, it's not necessarily a great matchup up against the Buffalo Bills, who don't necessarily have the dominant rushing attack, but have been tearing people apart through the air. Uh, So, that 
that matchup right there does not lend itself well to the Colts. So looking over at the injury report here, uh, the Colts are going to be without cornerback Rock Ace Yasin. Uh, DeForest Buckner technically listed as questionable and out will be Will Holden. On the build side, I already mentioned Cole Beasley, questionable. Technically, Stephon Diggs is questionable as well, but I would be extremely surprised if we ended up not seeing him uh, today. The line on this game is Bills minus 6.5. I do believe the Bills are going to win this game. I I don't know if they cover that, though. The, the Colts, I think, have found a rhythm offensively and can keep this game a little closer than that, especially down the stretch. So Bills win, but Colts cover. Next up, we have the Rams at the Seahawks, a division rematch, uh, one of two actually in this super wild card weekend of teams playing for the third time in this season. Now, when you talk about the Seahawks, it's really kind of a tale of two seasons with them. The first half of the season, very offensive dominant, uh, just Russell Wilson lighting teams up through the air was at the near the top, if not at the top, of MVP talks. And that really slowed down in the second half. Second half of the season, though, that defense that was absolutely atrocious to start off the season really started to come on strong uh, and made one of the most miraculous turnarounds that we've seen in recent history. Uh, Seahawks allowed just 16 points per game over the final eight games, uh, the best in the league. Also, 150 yards less on average over that stretch. 150 yards less. That is a huge turnaround. Now, when you're talking about the Seahawks only giving up 16 points per game down the stretch, considering that only brought their average down to 23.2, that um, that kind of tells you how bad the Seahawks' defense was for the first eight games of the season. And even with that turnaround, the Seahawks still ended up second on average as far as passing yards per game. Speaking of defensive prowess, the L.A. Rams actually led the league in two important defensive categories – Fewest yards allowed per game and fewest points allowed per game. That Rams defense led by Jalen Ramsey was the best in the NFL. Uh, Speaking of Jalen Ramsey, actually, the matchup to watch in this game is Ramsey on Metcalf. In the two matchups this season, Metcalf only garnered four targets and was only able to bring in one of those catches. So you look at that and right off the bat, you might think, oh, on the other side, that must mean maybe Lockett was going off. No, in those two games, Lockett only brought in seven catches. So overall, the Rams really disrupted the passing game of the Seahawks. Offensively for the Seahawks, the Russell Wilson, uh, they let him cook. 4,212 yards on the season with 40 touchdowns, 
He was sacked, though, kind of an alarming 47 times on the season. The ground game was led by Chris Carson. Not super impressive yardage-wise, only 681 yards. Uh, but he also missed four games this season. A uh, respectable 4.8 yards per carry, though. And I talked about Metcalf and Lockett. Both those receivers went over 1,000 yards on the season. 1,300 for Metcalf. But then it's a sharp drop-off. The third leading receiver on the team only had 417 yards. And then on that defense, though, for the Seahawks, a big part of what turned it around for them was the return of Jamal Adams. Uh, the safety, Jamal, actually paced the team in sacks with nine and a half sacks on the season. They also had four games missed by Shaquille Griffin, but he is has returned as well. So things really turning in the right direction for the Seahawks. A uh, mid-season acquisition, actually, was Carlos Dunlap, who actually put up five sacks while with the Seahawks. A great acquisition that really helped the defense, I feel like, come into form in the second half. For the Rams, Jared Goff had kind of a average season. Uh, 20 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, nothing to write home about in the touchdown-interception ratio. Did not crack quite... 4,000 yards on the season. And kind of similar to the Bills, uh, the Rams really didn't have any individual running back really take a hold of that starting spot. Uh, they, more so than the Bills, had a uh, three-man rotation for much of the season. Cam Akers ended up averaging 4.3, Daryl Henderson 4.5, and Malcolm Brown 4.1. On the receiving side of things, uh, Cooper Cup and Robert Woods definitely paced the team. Neither quite cracking 1,000 yards on the season, but that may have more to do with Jared Goff than it has to do with the talent of this wide receiving core. Now, the, uh, these teams split their regular season series. And the game is in Seattle. Now, obviously, this is a weird year. Uh, no fans at all this season uh, at any home games for Seattle. And yet, they posted a 7-1 home record. Now, Seahawks are known for their home field advantage. But you would, th you logically, you would think maybe it would take a step back without the fans there, without it being nearly as loud as what they are accustomed to. But no, they actually posted their best home record in years. Uh, I believe five seasons since the last time they posted as good of a home record. Injury-wise, the Rams are going to... The big question mark there is Jared Goff. Is he going to play today? Is he not going to play today? Signs are pointing towards yes. Uh, but it's nothing is official yet. On the Seahawks side of things, uh, Shaquille Griffin is questionable, and Jaron Reed is questionable on the defensive line. Uh, both, I believe, are expected to suit up and play, though. The line on this game is Seattle minus three. That's the typical spread when you're talking about a home game. 
And this one actually is a hard game for me to pick. My head, uh, my, my head is telling me to go with the Rams when you just look at the defensive matchup there and the Seahawks struggle against them offensively, uh, especially with the struggles of the Seahawks offense down the stretch. But then if you believe in the turnaround of this Seahawks defense, regardless of who they played down the stretch, they're just the more complete team. So I think that's why I'm going to have to go with the Hawks, and I think they cover the three-point spread. The next game on the docket is going to be the Bucks at the football team. The Tom Brady-led Tampa Bay Bucks. That still doesn't quite sound right, but that offense led by Tom Brady, third best as far as points per game, and second best this season in passing yards per game. Tom Brady putting up one of his best seasons in recent memory. Uh, 4,600 yards passing to go with 40 touchdowns. And this all helped the Bucks snap a 13-year playoff drought. Now, on the other side of things, the Redskins, I'm sorry, the football team, did make the playoffs despite having a losing record only the third time in history that that has happened. And they are led by their comeback story, probably one of the most feel-good stories this season in the NFL, Alex Smith, uh, after sitting out the entirety of the 2019 season with that horrific leg injury that at one time was actually life-threatening, like legitly life-threatening. With Alex Smith... They're actually 5-1 and one on the season. So a much better team and a winning football team with Alex Smith despite the losing record total on the season. But with that 5-1 record, Alex Smith actually becomes the fifth quarterback to take three different teams to the playoffs. Obviously, he started his career off with the 49ers and then moved on with the Chiefs before getting supplanted by Mahomes there. And now he's taken the Washington football team to the playoffs. Alex Smith, to me, is one of the more underappreciated quarterbacks in our time. I think he really gets a bum rap in the previous places he's been, in particular with the 49ers. It's hard to blame the Chiefs for moving on from him when you're talking about uh, – Patrick Mahomes, who so far looks like he could be, he could end up being the best quarterback we have ever seen play football. Now back to Brady, this is actually his 18th playoff appearance, but this is his first one as a wild card. Uh, was not able to win the NFC South like he was able to dominate the AFC East. And Tom Brady has more playoff wins, 30, than the Washington football team has as a franchise, which is only 23. Uh, talked about the Bucks' offense being so prolific. They're actually averaging 37 points per game during the four-game winning streak they had to end the season. Tom Brady led that offense and actually... 
Mike Evans, despite all the passing numbers, Mike Evans was the only receiver to crack 1,000 yards. Uh, he also brought in 13 touchdowns. Uh, Chris Godwin, 840 yards with 7 touchdowns. Rob Gronkowski uh, turned out to be a lot more of a red zone threat, not utilized nearly as much uh, between the 20s as he was in his time with the Patriots and Tom Brady but still brought in seven touchdowns on 45 catches. And then the guy, late addition, but really potentially a game changer for this Bucks, Antonio Brown in his second stint with Tom Brady, and actually this time looks like he's going to finish the season out. Uh, only played in eight games, but still racked in... 45 catches for 483 yards and four touchdowns. Clearly, this Bucks team is built to defeat you through the air. They really have an all-star squadron there uh, hauling in the passes from Tom Brady. On the ground, though, they are led by Ronald Jones, who averaged 5.1 yards per carry. Didn't quite crack 1,000 yards, only 978 on the season but did rush in seven touchdowns. Leonard Fournette, I was hopeful that he would have more of an impact with the Bucks, at least on the ground. Uh, only 367 yards, under four yards a carry, but did have six rushing touchdowns. Where Fournette made more of an impact was actually through the air. Uh, 36 catches on the season, uh, which paced the running backs for for the Bucks. I thought he might get utilized a little bit more there, considering Tom Brady's uh, use of receiving backs when he was with the Patriots. Uh, so it was definitely a little underutilized from what I thought would happen there. But nonetheless, Fournette's still a key part of this Bucks offense. For Washington, Alex Smith was obviously the leader in the past game, beating out Dwayne Haskins by a little over 100 yards. Dwayne Haskins, who is actually no longer even on the team, uh, cut just a just a couple weeks ago, or a week ago. Alex Smith, though, technically has a negative touchdown-interception ratio, six touchdowns to eight interceptions. On the ground, Antonio Gibson, the leader rushing uh, with 795 yards with 11 touchdowns. J.D. McKissick, really the other part of that two-headed monster, but a lot, a lot more utilized in the receiving game. With 80 catches, second on the team on the season, with 589 yards, Terry McClellan, McLaurin, sorry, is the leading receiver on that team. The only receiver to get over 1,000 yards with 1,100. Uh, really continued his success from his rookie season. And Logan Thomas, in particular down the stretch, really has come on strong for the Washington football team. 72 catches, 670 yards, and 6 touchdowns. The converted quarterback has seemed to find found his stride in as a tight end. 
Defensively, the outstanding rookie, Chase Young, was actually second on the team with seven and a half stacks. And after Washington clinched their playoff spot, obviously they were Sunday night football, so they everything else was settled. It was just who was going to win the NFC East, and the opponent was already set. When Washington ended up winning that game and was set to play the Bucks this weekend, uh, Chase Young coming off the field was pumped and super excited to be playing Tom Brady, saying he wants Tom. Uh, it'll be a really fun matchup to see if and how much of an impact Chase Young has on this game. But he is he's not alone up there. Several first-round picks, really, for Washington on that defensive line. Uh, you also have Montez Sweat, who led the team in sacks with nine. Ryan Kerrigan, five and a half sacks. Tim Settle, five sacks. The success for this team came because of their defense. Kendall Fuller paced the team with four interceptions. Uh, Landon Collins also had an interception go with two sacks. Another one of those kind of hybrid safeties. Not quite as a efficient as Adams in Seattle, but in that same type of mold. Washington was actually second in the NFL behind the Rams in yards allowed per game and just 304. And second in passing yards allowed per game, again, behind the Rams. So we're talking about... An elite pass defense going up against an elite passing offense. It'll definitely be a matchup that'll be a lot of fun to watch today. Um, but you got to keep in mind the Redskins, sorry, the football team, and playing in the NFC East outside of early on Cowboys, not a lot of dynamic teams. Uh, especially offensively, that they'd be going up against, going up the Eagles, that offense anemic at times. The Giants came on a little stronger down the stretch, but not an offense that inspires fear in opponents. For the Bucks, though, uh, Jason Pierre-Paul has had another solid season for the Bucks, nine and a half sacks, uh, followed by Devin White, actually, who leads the team in tackles and also has nine sacks on the season. Former Bronco Shaquille Barrett, not necessarily the monster season he had last year, but still a respectable eight sacks on the season, and Adamican Sue with six sacks on the season. That defense has really come together there in Tampa Bay. Uh, in particularly against the rush, posting the best mark in the NFL as far as yards allowed on the ground. And eighth in the NFL as far as points allowed per game. Injury-wise for the Buccaneers, the big one to look at is Mike Evans. Uh, looked like he may have hyperextended his knee a little bit. 
in the in week 17. He is listed as questionable for today. Uh, that will be a big buoy for the Bucks if he's able to go. But like we talked about with Goodwin and with Antonio Brown, they're not exactly hurting for pass catchers. And going up against a less than seller Washington team might be prudent for them to just let Evans sit a week and be ready for next week in the playoffs. Never want to take a win for granted, obviously, especially in the playoffs. But as far as long-term success, if you want to get to the ultimate goal for Tom Brady and the Bucks, it would be better to have Evans healthy. For Washington, uh, Alex Smith, a big question mark for them. Very similar to the Rams. It looks like he's going to go, but... It's not official. Uh, Terry McLaurin and Antonio Gibson also listed on the injury report as questionable. The line in this game is Tampa Bay minus 8.5. I expect Tampa Bay to win this game, but I'm going to say that it is closer than expected. I, I, I think Washington covers. Next up, we have the Ravens at the Titans. A matchup of the top two rushing teams in the NFL. Titans have actually won the last two matchups between this team, including last year's playoffs. Now, we're talking about the top two rushing teams in the NFL. For the Rams, led by Lamar Jackson, actually, who cracked 1,000 yards once again, averaging 6.3 yards per carry and seven touchdowns. Second on the team was rookie J.K. Dobbins, 805 yards, nine touchdowns on the season, and a very healthy six yards per carry. Third on the team was Gus Edwards, 723 yards and six touchdowns, and a healthy five yards per carry. Now you have all that rushing talent divided up there put together a monster rushing season for the Ravens. You go over to the other side, though, for the Tennessee Titans, it was all Derrick Henry with over 2,000 yards rushing, 2,027, 5.4 yards per carry, and 17 touchdowns on the season. The second leading rusher was Ryan Tannehill with 266. So you look at the balanced rushing attack, if you will, for the Ravens, and then you come over to the Titans, and it's Derrick Henry, Derrick Henry, Derrick Henry. Now that's not to say that the it's a one-sided attack for the Titans. Tannehill, another really good season. Didn't quite crack 4,000 yards, only 3,819 but a 65.5% completion percentage and 33 touchdowns to 7 interceptions. And part of the reason he was able to have such a good year is you kind of had the emergence of Corey Davis, a former first-round pick who really hasn't lived up to the hype that really emerged this season, maybe not to the level that they were hoping when they spent that first-round pick, 
but definitely a legit number two option. Didn't quite crack 1,000 yards receiving 984, but a healthy 15.1 yards average and five touchdowns. A.J. Brown led the team in receiving 1,075 yards and 11 touchdowns. That combo right there is one of the best you're going to see in the playoffs, in my opinion. A.J. Brown, electric after the catch as well. Now, back over on the Ravens' side of things, Lamar Jackson uh, didn't even crack 3,000 yards passing this season, 2,757. Really a slow start to the season for the Ravens as a whole, but in particular, I felt like for Lamar Jackson, uh, still good splits, 26 touchdowns to 9 interceptions, but Lamar is really going to need to answer playoff doubters. Uh, Ravens, while he's been the starting quarterback, have averaged 30.6 points per game in the regular season. But that drops to a paltry 14.5 points per game in his two postseason starts, and both of those losses for the Rams. So it's going to be a big game for him to try to answer the critics and show that he is... He's better than that, and he's not just a regular season wonder. Receiving-wise, obviously with Jackson not putting up great passing numbers, there's no real standouts in the receiving game. Uh, probably the top receiver is Mark Andrews. Uh, 701 yards, 7 touchdowns. Marquise Brown actually paced the team in touchdowns and yards, but it was very streaky. For Marquise Brown on the season. It wasn't a consistent threat when you're talking about uh, Hollywood Brown. The Ravens defensively really well-rounded. Second in the NFL in points allowed per game. Uh, but not really a standout against the rush or the pass. Uh, the running, the rushing defense will obviously be the one that is taxed a little extra in this game. Uh, Marcus Peters led the team in interceptions with four, and their sack leader was Matthew Judon with six. Flipping over to the other side, the Tennessee Titans actually um, pretty bad defensively, uh, especially compared to what they did last year. Ended up being ninth in the NFL as far as most points allowed per game. Now, there's a couple standouts on the defense individual. Uh, Malcolm Butler and Amani um, Hooker, both with four interceptions on the season. Uh, part of the problem is Dory Jackson only played three games this season. Uh, they did bring in Desmond King to try to help with that. Uh, they had brought in uh, Jadavion Clowney to help this defense. Clowney had season-ending in, uh, surgery, so he will not be helping out in this game. Sack leaders, their leader was Harold Landry III with five and a half. Uh, second was Jeffrey Simmons with three. So not necessarily a defense that you 
are scared of if you're the Baltimore Ravens. Now, I mentioned the points per game the Titans are giving up. Um, the 27.4 points per game is actually the second most in the Super Bowl era among teams that have made the playoffs. In case you're curious, the most was actually the 2,000 Rams who gave up 29.4 points per game. Injury-wise, the Ravens are will be hoping to advance another week to try to get Willie Sneed out. He is listed as out against the Titans. Um, Nidaku listed as questionable. Jimmy Smith as questionable. Marlon Humphrey as questionable. On the other side of things for the Titans, Center Brewer is out, and A.J. Brown is technically listed as questionable, although Brown highly expected to play. The line for this game is actually Baltimore minus three, and I'm going to go ahead and take Baltimore in this game, and I think Baltimore... I guess I'll say Baltimore covers. Three is not a lot of points. I do think it's going to be a close game, though. It would not surprise me if it comes down to a game-winning field goal. Uh, the, the Ravens are just the more complete team, and it definitely seems like that offense has found its stride uh, closing out the season. And the teams that, are, that I think are most dangerous in the playoffs are the teams that are... Finally clicking, finally finding their groove right in weeks, you know, 15, 16, 17. And I feel like that's what the Ravens have done, and particularly on offense. And that defense is really good and complete. Next up, we have the Bears at the Saints. Uh, you know, initial impression is the Saints are the much better team. Although the Saints won back in Week 8, the Bears were able to force OT in that matchup. And an interesting note on that, the Bears have lost all three games with uh, Matt Nagy as the head coach that have gone into overtime. Talking about the Bears, uh, they... Really rolled out two quarterbacks this season. Mitch Trubisky played in 10 games. Nick Foles played in 9. Uh, the Bears are 6-3 in games that Mitch were, was the starter. And that includes starting off 2-0 and and then getting benched in Game 3. A game that they ended up winning. So technically, Trubisky gets credit for a 3-0 start. With a 6-3 touchdown to interception ratio through that first two and a half games. They ended up going to Nick Foles. Uh, in his nine games he played, 1,800 yards passing, 10 touchdowns to 8 interceptions. You compare to that to what Trubitsky did on the season, 2,000 yards passing, 16 touchdowns to 8 interceptions. Kind of stuck with that. Uh, two to one kind of ratio there on the touchdowns and interceptions. Making that move never really made sense to me. I'm not gonna. I'm not a big Trubisky fan. I don't 
think that he was a number two overall pick talent in that year's draft. But when you did spend that kind of draft capital on him, and Trubisky does have potential, uh, I kind of have my doubts that he will ever actualize that potential. But go, moving from him to Nick Foles for a team that is... They're, they're not good enough defensively to just be okay offensively and go places. So to make that move never really made sense to me. Their running attack, though, is headed by David Montgomery, another second year back uh, who has found a better stride in his second season than his first. 1,000 yards rushing, 4.3 yards per carry, and 8 touchdowns. Uh, in the receiving game, really one name to pay attention to. Uh, and that's Allen Robinson, the second, 1,250 yards receiving on the season, six touchdowns. Jimmy Graham, another recognizable name there, 50 catches for 456 yards and eight touchdowns. Definitely somebody to pay attention to more so when the Bears get into the red zone. On the other side, though, the Bears are going to be facing Drew Brees, future Hall of Famer Drew Brees. The Drew Brees, who has actually posted the most passing yards per game in the Super Bowl era at 310.4. Now, this was a bit of a down season for Brees, uh, under 3,000 yards passing, but a big part of that is because he only played in 12 games. Uh, still had a 70% completion percentage and 24 touchdowns to 6 interceptions. A nice 4-1 to one ratio there. And in the stints that Taysom Hill came in, he actually played pretty well. Um, they did not rely on him to pass a whole lot in the games he started, but still posted a 72.7 completion percentage for 928 yards. Four touchdowns to two interceptions. Alvin Kamara is kind of the... He, he's the MVP of this offense. Not utilized a ton rushing. Only 187 carries on the season for 932 yards. But 16 touchdowns. But definitely utilized in the receiving game. In particular, this season... Pacing the team in receptions and yards with 83 catches for 756 yards. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders, second on the team, 61 catches for 726 yards. Both of them five touchdowns on the season. Jared Cook actually led the team in touchdowns with seven. Now the reason Kamara paced the team, and particularly in yards and receptions, was because Michael Thomas only appeared in seven games this season, still bringing in 40 catches for 438 yards. Now, Thomas ended the season on IR, and, but was third all-time in receiving yards per game. But like I said, he did end the season on IR, it doesn't look at this point like he is going to be playing against the Bears. For the Saints, part of the reason why I 
feel felt like coming into the season, and I still feel like they have a good shot at the Super Bowl, is because of their defense, though. Top five in both rushing yards and passing yards allowed per game. And tied for fifth in points allowed per game. Uh, that Saints defense really kind of slipped on because when you think of the Saints, you think of Drew Brees and you think of that offense lighting things up. But that defense is really good. Uh, Trey Hendrickson paces the team with 13 and a half sacks. Cameron Jordan following it up with seven and a half. And three players are tied with three interceptions apiece. Malcolm Jenkins, Marcus Williams, and Janoris Jenkins all have three interceptions. Marshawn Lattimore and Patrick Robinson both have two. Now the Bears, a team that you kind of think about as being a defensive team, really middle of the pack in most defensive numbers. Uh, Khalil Mack led the team in sacks, only nine uh, not necessarily, uh, especially for Khalil Mack, not a great season. The defense as a whole really has taken a step back since a couple years ago when they made that, um, when they had that really good season. Tayshawn Gibson and Roquan Smith, two interceptions apiece for the Bears. Injury-wise, we talked on... Uh, we talked on, talked on Michael Thomas a little bit for the Saints. Deontay Harris is also on injured reserve, another wide receiver. Uh, Alvin Kamara, Trey Hendrickson, and Nick Easton are actually all now listed as out. So that's, in particular on that Saints offense, really hampered, it looks like, going to be on Sunday. Uh, Kamara is a COVID issue. So if they advance past the Bears, he, I would assume, would be available in the next round. Uh, Hendrickson, obviously, like I said, led the team in sacks. That is another big hit. For the Bears, though, Wilkinson Smith listed as questionable. Uh, Jalen Brown, questionable. Josh Woods, questionable. Buster Skrine is listed as out. So the line on this game is the Saints minus 10. Uh, one more note on Kamara. It is a possibility he could play tomorrow. He is listed as out right now. Uh, but that's because since it is a COVID thing, it's a out or in sort of deal. It's not, it's not something that you're ever really questionable at. So there is a chance that Kamara comes back. Uh, I have not seen what his most recent tests look like. But if he is out and Michael Thomas is out, that Saints offense will definitely be hampered. Uh, but like I said, the Bears are nothing special on defense. Even with those handicaps, I do expect the Saints to win. If there's no Michael Thomas and no Kamara, maybe the Bears will cover that. Uh, and it'll be less than a 10-point victory for the Saints, but I, either way, I do expect the Saints to win this game.
Lastly, the game to finish off the weekend is going to be the Browns at the Steelers. Uh, possibly the biggest storyline of the entire week heading into Super Wild Card Weekend has been the Browns' COVID outbreak. Uh, headlined by head coach Stefanski and Pro Bowl guard Bettino have both been ruled out for Sunday. Number one corner Ward. Malcolm Smith, who is fourth on the team in tackles, along with their wide receiver coach, tight end coach, O-line coach, along with the assistant O-line coach, are also all in doubt for Sunday due to COVID reasons. Uh, Steelers also hit, albeit to a lesser degree, with Joe Hayden being out due to COVID. Not only will they be missing... Most of those guys, possibly. But the Browns' first practice, first time they were able to actually get on a football field together, was yesterday. Now, the impact of that is mitigated to some degree, considering the Browns and Steelers played Week 17. Albeit, the Steelers played their second unit (laughs) for a lot of key positions. Uh, such as, you know, Roethlisberger didn't play. But still, going into a playoff game, you would most likely like to have more than one on-the-field practice. Another interesting note here, the Browns are 1-20 all-time at Heinz Field. One win out of 21 attempts at Heinz Field. The Browns also haven't won a playoff game since 1994. Who were the coaches in that game for the Browns? You may have heard of them. Bill Belichick was the head coach, and Nick Saban was a defensive coordinator. Let that sink in a little Oh, my. Now, the Steelers, not quite the high-powered offense that you may have grown accustomed to in recent years. Uh, They're actually posted the worst rushing attack in the NFL by total yards and by yards per carry. But what they are lacking in offense, the Steelers are definitely making up for in defense Third best in the NFL in total yards per game. Third best in passing yards allowed per game. And third yes in points allowed per game. That Pittsburgh defense is definitely not something to mess around with. They actually have two players with double-digit sacks. TJ Watt has 15 sacks on the season. And Stephon Tuitt with 11. Bud Dupree actually came close with 8 sacks as well. Interceptions-wise, Minka Fitzpatrick led the team with four, and Mike Hilton with three on the season. And they will be matched up against a Browns offense led by Baker Mayfield. Uh, Kind of a a prove-it season for Baker Baker Mayfield. 3,563 yards. Uh, Not a super impressive completion percentage, though, 62.8, 26 touchdowns to 8 interceptions. 
But where when the Browns are most effective is when they are rushing the ball. We had a matchup between the top two rushing attacks in the NFL, but the Browns actually come in at third with 148 yards per game on the ground. And this is led by Nick Chubb, who posted 1,067 yards and 12 touchdowns on the season, 5.6 yard average. And he put up those numbers despite only playing in 12 games this season. Uh, it's definitely a two-headed attack, though. Kareem Hunt comes in with 841 yards on the season, uh, 4.2 yards per carry, and six touchdowns. He is definitely more utilized as kind of the receiving back, though, although they're both kind of interchangeable. They're both complete backs. Hunt is just more utilized in the passing game. Uh, 38 catches for 304 yards and five touchdowns through the air. Now, receiving-wise, Jarvis Landry paced the team with 840 yards, three touchdowns. He's the only one who kind of stands out in the receiving game. Uh, Odell went on injury reserve early on. Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones has kind of come on a little bit late down the season, but very much inconsistent. For the Steelers on offense, a little bit more cut and dry. Obviously, Ben Roethlisberger is the leader uh, of that team. 3,800 yards passing on the season, 33 touchdowns to 10 interceptions. And James Conner was the leader of that poultry rushing attack that we talked about. 721 yards on the ground, 6 touchdowns. But where it gets dynamic when you're talking about the Steelers offensively is that receiving game. Uh, Deontay Johnson led the team with 923 yards. Chase Claypool, the dynamic wide receiver who really had a few big splash games this year, 873 yards receiving. Juju, 831 yards. Uh, Juju and Claypool, both nine touchdowns apiece. Johnson with, you know, a very respectable seven touchdown catches on the season. And they will be matched up against a underappreciated Browns defense. Miles Garrett, 12 sacks on the season, really got off to a very hot start. Could have been in the conversation uh, for at least for for sure defensive player of the year, and at the pace he was going, he may have even been in the conversation for MVP. But his season was really derailed when he came down with COVID. Although he only missed two games with it, he really was not the same player after that. Uh, Olivier Vernon nine sacks on the season, a good one-two punch there. And Garrett starting to look like his early season self uh, later down the road. Now, uh, interceptions. MJ Stewart, Denzel Ward mentioned him uh, being questionable going into this game with Corona. And BJ Goodson all with two interceptions apiece. Speaking of injuries, though, Donovan Peoples-Jones 
Terrence Mitchell, Jack Conklin, Sheldon Richardson, Nick Harris. Nick Harris is actually on injured reserve. But those other guys all listed as questionable in addition to the other names I mentioned earlier. On the Steelers side of things, nobody on the fence. Uh, just a couple of folks who have been on IR for a bit. Now, the line on this game is Pittsburgh minus six. If the Browns were not messing with so many complications heading into this game, I might actually have picked the Browns to win this. Maybe. But because of all the complications heading into this game, the Browns, I don't foresee really standing a chance in this six maybe on the light side of the spread. I expect the Steelers to win and to cover. Now, I believe, looking back on it, I I picked the favorite in all six of the matchups. Now, history tells us that it's not going to go that way. There's going to be at least one, if not two or more, upsets. And if I had to pick upsets... The ones that I were most on the fence about is going to be that Rams-Seahawks game and maybe the Colts upsetting the Bills. So if you want to put, if, you, if you're looking for that upset, those are the games that I would look at it for. But that's going to be it for this super wild card preview. I appreciate y'all hanging out with me again. I am Mike Jones. Give this a like, a follow, recommend it to your friends. Leave a comment. Let me know what you think. I look forward to hearing from you all. But for now, this is Mike Jones signing off. Enjoy Super Wild Card Weekend. <laughs>